Well, if you would, this morning, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, and our text this morning will be Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12. But I would like you to just hold your place there, and I want to mention a couple of things this morning. First of all, don't forget tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is our Christmas Eve service, and Pastor Mike, help me out here. I'm looking, there you are. Um, The orchestra will be playing tomorrow night? They will be. Okay, so they will be back again uh, tomorrow night. The service begins at 6 o'clock. Help me out again, Pastor Mike. We have invitations, little cards out at the information center. I believe so. Okay. (laughs) He will go make sure. Okay, but important night, 6 o'clock, tomorrow night, right here. Um, And I've shared this with you before, but we would ask you to be in prayer uh, because we have planned the whole service with this in mind. It is now said that more unchurched people will come to a Christmas Eve service than any other church service of the year, including Easter. So that's important. So it is very possible there will be a lot of people. This will be the only time that they come to a church service and they like it. Interesting. Even unchurched people like it. Very traditional. Traditional Christmas hymns. It will be a candlelight service. So we'll ask you to be in prayer for that. We do. um, Pastor Mike's going to check. We do have some little invitation cards that you can hand to others and invite them to come. Second thing I want to share with you this morning As most of you here know, maybe not all of you, we might have uh, a number of visitors with us this morning, but one of our associate pastors, Pastor Ron, um, is leaving at the end of the month to become the new senior pastor at Jennings Community Church in Lake City, Michigan, up near Cadillac. Excuse me, next Sunday, the 30th, will be his last day with us. He will be preaching um, next Sunday morning. And... As I shared with you, I think two Sundays ago, the leadership of the church, I have encouraged them that our first step in all of this, in searching for a new pastor for that position, is just to pray. That's that's the first thing we need to do. Before we just jump headlong into trying to find somebody else, we need to pray and wait upon the Lord and seek Him. And so, our leaders have been having some special times of prayer just for this purpose. Also, I have asked our leaders to consider, to think about if they are so inclined to also spend some time fasting. Maybe a single meal a number of different times. It may, for some of them, it may be more extended periods of fasting. Again, for the purpose of waiting upon the Lord and seeking Him. Some of the men suggested this week, and I thought it was a great idea, that we extend this to the whole congregation. So we are going to encourage you, or I am encouraging you now, to spend time in prayer, just seeking the Lord and waiting upon Him about who He would have to fill this position. It will be important for the future of our church. So whether you do it as an individual or as a family, um, we encourage you to pray. In addition... 
we are going to have a special time of prayer for anyone from the congregation that wants to come and to pray specifically about this on Wednesday evening, January 2nd. There are no regular activities that night. So Wednesday evening, January 2nd at 6.30 in the Ambassador's Sunday School classroom, one of our non-vocational elders, Jim Davis, is going to lead in a time of prayer going to coordinate that. So if you want to come and pray, 6.30, January 2nd, um, in that ambassador's Sunday school classroom, you are welcome to come. Jim said he's going to go with it, uh, no matter how many people come, even if there are just a few. It may only last a half hour or so, depending on how many come. And I'm going to encourage you, if you are so inclined, and if God so leads, to also spend some time fasting about this. And your fast will be for the purpose of just waiting upon the Lord and seeking his will and his guidance in this matter. Again, it could be a simple fast, or for some of you, maybe you have more experience with this in the spiritual discipline. Maybe you will spend some extended time fasting. But let us seek the Lord together, and let us seek his will for our church, which leads us, I think, in a powerful way into this passage this morning. I have, if you're visiting with us this morning, I'm doing a five-part Christmas series that I have entitled, How the Christmas Story Displays God's Heart for the Nations. This is number four. Tomorrow night will be number five in this series. And this particular passage I have deliberately kept until the Sunday before Christmas because I think it is the most important of all the messages because of this particular passage. What we are looking at in this series is that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it wasn't simply to provide salvation for you and me. It was. That is so important. But there are implications way, way beyond that. When the Son of God came into the world, it was for the purpose of spreading the glory of God throughout the universe, the purpose of spreading the glory of God by bringing salvation to people from every people group who would then become worshipers of the slain lamb and bring glory to God all over the world. And I want you to see that in this passage this morning, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, a familiar passage, the coming of the wise men, but I want to challenge you to see it with fresh eyes this morning. This is what Matthew writes. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, our first point this morning is we have come to worship. When studying this great passage about the coming of the wise men, the magi, it is good to review some basic biblical facts. So just a little bit of background to begin The word magi, which can also be pronounced magi, you may hear it that way sometimes, they're both correct. The literal meaning of it is that they are well-educated men who specialized in astronomy, astrology, and the natural sciences. So these are well-educated, scholarly people from the East. And by this time... By the time that they come, Jesus and Mary and Joseph are in a house. They are not in the place where Jesus was born. He is no longer lying in a manger wrapped in strips of cloths. So a period of time has passed since the birth of Christ. It is believed, we don't know for sure, but it is believed that Jesus is somewhere around two years old at this time. He is no longer an infant. Notice in verse 11, it says, in going into the house. Again, they are not going to a manger, which Luke says they went, or where the shepherds went. In Luke chapter 2, they came and found him lying in a manger wrapped in strips of cloths. They are coming into a house. Again, it is believed that a period of time has passed. And so, and so, I just want you to have this clear in your mind. The coming of the shepherds and the coming of the wise men were two separate events. Okay? Now, if your manger scene has the shepherds and the wise men together, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) don't need to go home and throw your manger scene away. Just know that they both ended up coming to Jesus, but they came at two separate times. A key verse really is verse 16. If you want to just drop down in the text here of chapter two, it says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and notice and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. Now, here's the key phrase. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Evidently, the wise men had told him, and again, we don't know exactly what they said, that somewhere in the last year or two, they believed that this new king had been born. And so Herod, in all of his wickedness and evil, wanted to make sure he got all of them which he didn't, but he wanted to try. And so he killed all the male children 
two years and under in a terrible, horrible scene in the Bible. So again, we don't know exactly how old Jesus is at this time, but it appears, it appears that he is older than, excuse me, when he was in the manger. Now the star that the wise men saw in the east was filled with mystery. It is filled with mystery to this day. A lot of speculation surrounding the star. I remember watching a documentary oh, a number of years ago in where, in, when they went into extensive detail trying to explain how the star came about, how it led them, but it was all conjecture. It was all speculation. Interesting, very interesting, but we really don't know. I mean, people have speculated about it being a moving of a planet, a, that it was a comet, that it was a supernova, and all kinds of different ideas. All we really know is God supernaturally, miraculously had a light, which is called a star in the text, that this star miraculously guided these men from the east right to where Jesus and Mary and Joseph were. Now, also, we don't know how many magi came to Jerusalem and the home. Tradition says that there were three wise men simply because there were three gifts, but we don't know. We know there were more than one because the term is plural, but we don't know. There could have been more than three. There could have been a large number of them. We really don't know, but again, again, it's okay if we sing We Three Kings from Orion R, okay? We don't have to remove it from the hymnal. Um, just know in your own mind that we really don't know exactly how many wise men there were. That's just a little background, but I want to get to the importance of this passage. First of all, I want to mention a number of things, but first of all, the magi, the wise men, provide us with a wonderful example of true biblical worship. There are some key worship scenes in the Old and New Testaments. We can define worship. We can break down the word and say what it is, but there are some scenes that I think show much more powerfully than any definition could. And this is one of those scenes. In verses 9 and 10, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now watch verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In the original text, this sentence, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, is loaded it's loaded with superlatives. Even in our English language, it is a loaded sentence, a loaded phrase. It didn't just say that they rejoiced. It didn't just say that they rejoiced with joy. It didn't just say that they rejoiced with great joy. No, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There are no wasted words in the Bible. No wasted words. This is a fourfold superlative to describe the joy that these men experienced. 
they were filled. They were excited. The one that they were led to by God, the one that they had been looking for, they have found him. And their entire beings, their minds, their emotions, everything about them were absolutely filled with joy. Next, they fell down and worshipped him. And going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You almost have to just imagine this. These men of great learning who have traveled a great distance, probably at great cost to themselves and great danger knowing the circumstances of first century travel. And here is a toddler. And they come in and they fall down. They fall down physically and worship When you voluntarily fall down before someone, it is a profound display of respect, of reverence, of humility, and of worship. Notice also that they present him with gifts. Again, a lot has been made of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, but what I want you to notice is that these are gifts of honor, and praise. We don't know everything about these gifts. We do know that gold was very costly at this time. Frankincense was a very expensive incense. Sometimes even the Jewish people would mingle it with their grain offerings that they would offer up to God. And the myrrh, though not as costly as frankincense, was also a perfume that was considered Very expensive. The thought over the centuries has been that gold was the gift of royalty. It was a gift given to a king. Frankincense was the gift of deity. It was the early church father Origen who first really emphasized that this was a gift that you would give to God. That's why they mingled it with their grain offerings to the Lord. Myrrh was the gift of humanity. And so if this is correct, we have a gift of a king or for a king, a gift of deity, a gift of humanity. Those three words, king, deity, humanity, are loaded with all kinds of theology as related to the coming of the Christ. But I want you to notice here that they did not come with gifts of need or assistance. When you came to a great king and you brought him gifts, it would be insulting to the king to bring him something he needed. He's a great king. He's in need of nothing. These men come to this poor couple with a toddler and they bring him the gifts of a great king they knew he was in need of nothing because he is the king of kings and lord of lords they do it's just interesting they didn't bring him a care package 
They didn't say, oh, this poor couple with a young child, let's bring some food, let's bring some clothing. No, no. These were gifts of honor and gifts of praise for someone who is exalted. The insight of these men about this child is absolutely fascinating. The Magi are saying, you are our king. You are our joy and our treasure. We have come to worship you. And I think it's so important. They did not come to get something. They came for the king. They didn't come to get something from him. They didn't come saying, well, if we give him these three gifts, then we'll get something in return. Nothing like that. I just want you to notice. They didn't come to get something from him. They came for him. And this passage of scripture challenges all of us to worship Christ with the same intense joy and reverence that the wise men did. Let me ask you, is Jesus your joy and your delight? Can you say that being with him, worshiping him, causes you to rejoice exceedingly with great joy? Does your life and everything about your life say, I have come to bow down and worship him? There is no greater act for me than to be in the presence of my king, my savior, my Lord, and to bow before him, to fall before him and to worship him. Here's a tough question. Ask myself this week. Do you come to honor and praise him expecting nothing in return? Do you come to honor and praise him expecting nothing in return? Or do we come to worship him privately and on Sundays because we want something from him? You know, if I do my devotions every day and I come to church on Sunday, then he better provide me with a good job. And he better help me to raise some good kids. And he better make sure we always have everything we need, at least the basics of life. Is that how we come to him? I hope if I worship him, he gives me something in return. Or do we just come for him? Yes, he blesses us. I'm not saying he doesn't. He rejoices in blessing us. But folks, let us come, whether privately or corporately, let us just come to worship him, expecting nothing in return, but experiencing the joy of being in the presence of the one who is everything to us. But now I want to focus on what this series is all about. There is something else here, something that I want every single one of us to see. That's why I say we need to see this passage with fresh eyes this morning. I want you to see something else. Our second point is the nations are coming to Jesus. Jesus is to be and will be worshipped by all nations. Stay with me here. The coming of the Magi, the coming of the wise men, 
is the great representation of what is going to happen in the ages to come. The nations are coming to the Christ, to the Messiah. The nations are coming. And they are worshiping him. This is the great foreshadowing of what we are going to see in heaven. This is the great foreshadowing of what we see in Revelation chapters 5 and 7. I read extensively from those two chapters in the first sermon in this series, so I won't do that again, but I do want just to read one verse from there. Revelation 5, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the slain lamb and they sing a new song. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 it says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. (laughs) Don't miss it. The wise men are coming from every tribe and language and people and nation. They are representatives of this great ingathering, this great harvest of God that is happening now, that will happen in the future, and that will find its ultimate fulfillment in the praise and worship of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3, it says this of the Messiah, nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. It's happening right here in Matthew chapter 2. The Magi are wise men from the east. Again, we don't know a lot about them. John MacArthur says he believes they were probably from the Persian area of the world. Being from the east, John Piper says he thinks they may have come from the area of the ancient Babylonian empire. But we know this. They are Gentiles. And they are foreigners. And they are not from Israel. And they are coming. They are coming for the purpose of knowing and worshiping the king. Matthew, it's an interesting gospel. At the end of Matthew, we have what is known as the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you. In the beginning of Matthew, we have the coming of the nations to Jesus right here. It's almost as if Matthew says, in the beginning, come and see, and at the end, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell about our great king. But don't miss it, folks. This, this is a great missionary passage. If you haven't seen it before, I want you to see it this morning. God moves the universe to make sure his son is known and worshipped. Do you catch that this morning? God is moving the universe to make sure his son is known and worshipped. God is moving the galaxies to guide the magi, the wise men. God is exerting global, even universal power and influence. 
We don't know everything about the star, but we know the one who's guiding the star. We know how he caused, or he knows how he caused them to see the star. And it was he who guided them, and it was he who moved the heavens in order to guide these men from the east. Oh, what is so intriguing in this passage that ought to cause awe and wonder in our hearts and minds as God somehow has been moving. He has been moving in the lives of these wise men. How did they know about the Jewish Messiah? What caused them to come and seek at this particular time? Why were these men from the east able to see so clearly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law completely missed? How is it? Well, we know in verse 12 it says, In being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So since they did not have the completed scriptures at that time, it could be that partially God spoke to them or moved them in dreams. It is also very possible that the Jewish exiles who had settled in that part of the world had told them about the great prophecies of the coming king, of the coming Messiah, who would be the savior of the world. There may have been a number of things, but somehow, some way, they not only knew, they knew exactly when to come, and they do. Folks, I want you to know that right now, as we meet together, God is on the move all over the world. God is moving right now, right now, this moment, in nations, in people groups, and in individuals around the world. That's why we put such a huge emphasis on world missions as a church. God is sending out his messengers, sending out missionaries to the ends of the earth, taking scripture to the ends of the earth, convicting people's hearts moving in their hearts and minds so that they might come to know Jesus and become worshipers of him so that we might have this great global in-gathering, all of us worshiping together, glorifying God, worshiping the Lamb together. Perhaps no person that I know of has written or spoken more about this than John Piper has. And I want to give you two of his quotes back to back. But I think sums this up so well. John Piper writes, All of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and his Son among all the peoples of the earth. The magnifying of Christ in the white-hot worship of all nations is the reason the world exists. All of history, he says, is moving toward one goal, God is raising up white-hot worshipers of his Son among all the peoples of the earth. And worshipers from all nations, gathering in worshipers from all nations to magnify Christ is the reason the world exists. In Matthew chapter 2, they're coming. They are coming. I want to 
stretch your minds a little bit this morning. Because I think if we really understand Christmas and its massive implications as I have been sharing with you these last four weeks, if we really understand it, our heads will hurt. There is so much here. So much here. I want you to think about something with me. In Revel- this is not going to be on the screen. I just want to read it to you. In Revelation chapter 21, we have the new Jerusalem. The new heaven and new earth. And in the new heaven and new earth is the new Jerusalem. And this is what it says about the new Jerusalem. I want you to listen very carefully. The apostle John says, And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Listen carefully. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They, the kings of the earth, will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Back in 2010, I preached through the entire book of Revelation. And when I came to this passage, do you know what I found? Nobody understands all that it means. It has baffled Bible teachers. It's a beautiful passage, but it has baffled Bible teachers for centuries. By, in the new Jerusalem, in the light provided by the Lamb, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. What does that mean? Will there be kings of the earth there and will know what country they are from with all of their beautiful cultural diversity, their beautiful skin colors, their beautiful cultural backgrounds, their beautiful languages? Is that what this means? They will all be coming into the light of the new Jerusalem. What does it mean? They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I don't know what it all means, but this is pretty exciting. Heaven's going to be beyond anything we could ever imagine. But here's what I want you to think about. Is it possible as we read this passage, they're talking partially about the wise men. They're going to be there. They will be part of the nations coming into the light of the new Jerusalem, part of the kings of the earth that will bring their glory into it, part of the glory and the honor of the nations. You say, will the, will the wise men be in heaven with us? Absolutely. And you get to ask them all those tough questions about this story, about the star, about how many there were. You can ask them all those things. Think with me, as I mentioned earlier, they came at great sacrifice to themselves. It probably was costly, dangerous, but they were determined. 
to come and to see the king of the Jews, the newborn king. And when they found him, there was no skepticism. There was no cynicism. There was no doubt. They fell down and they worshiped him. And they presented him with gifts of praise and honor and worship. I want to tell you this morning, I think the wise men had more faith than probably anyone in this room. As we think about the wonder of Christmas. As we think about the massive, universal implications of the Son of God coming into the world. Let us bow down in worship and let us rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. As we see the fulfillment of prophecy right in this passage of Scripture, as we think that we are a part of this, this great ingathering of white-hot worshipers from all nations to bring glory and honor and praise to our King, our Lord, our Savior. Oh, Lord, thrill our hearts. Fill our minds and our emotions with incredible joy. Let us come to Him. Let us come to him that we might know him and worship him. And it's in his name, the matchless, glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.